Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Northridge Church. We're honored to have you here this morning. And, you know, I I don't know about you, um, but one of my weaknesses is food. I absolutely love food, right? I love all the different flavors of food, the different combinations. One thing that I love is watching somebody take two foods that don't belong together and making them mesh beautifully. Now, I'm I'm a little bit curious. How many of you are like me? You just love food. Come on, show me your hands at all of our campus. Okay, I'm not alone in this journey. And and here's the truth is for me, and I'm assuming for you, there are certain foods out there that I love so much that, that I know that if I take one bite, I can't stop there, right? You convince yourself, like, I'll just have one, and then three, four, five later. I'm curious as to what food that is for you. You know, maybe it's a big, fat, juicy steak like this. You know, it's grilling season, right? A a steak, salty and grilled to perfection. Who can take just one bite of that? Or, Or maybe you're like me. My weakness is a good old-fashioned hot, salty French fry, right? On my deathbed, here's what you need to know. Just bring me a bucket of hot and salty McDonald's fries. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, okay? Or you know what? We're from Rochester. How many of you just love a good old-fashioned garbage plate? How many people are garbage plate people? I want to see your hands All right, sweet. Now I know who to pray for this week because, man, that's rough. Or maybe you're like, Drew, you know what? I'm not salty or savory. I'm more of a sweet tooth. Like, how about a hot apple dumpling? I don't don't know how. That just looks so good. Cool fall day. You can smell it bacon in your oven. Hot apple dumpling, cool ice cream. Like, it doesn't get better than that. Or, you know, maybe you're a Thanksgiving person. You just long for the taste of pumpkin pie, right? You, you, it sits there, and you're like, I'm going to wait for my friends. And then you take one bite, and then half the pie is gone because you love it so much. Or it's hot in Rochester. Maybe you're just like an ice cream Sunday banana split ice cream on a cone person, right? I'm just going to have one scoop, and then you have three scoops, Because, man, food is so good. And I have great news for you today, church. Great news. No, it's not that there are donuts in the lobby after our services. It's we are bringing an end to this series called Subtle Sins. And today we get to talk about the subtle sin of gluttony. You see what I did there? I set you guys up for that. I did. I'm sorry. I apologize. But today we're going to talk about this subtle sin of indulging too much. In fact, if you got your Bibles, we're going to finish the series in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to study God's Word. And you might ask the question, okay, what is is gluttony? Right? A simple definition is excess in eating. But gluttony defined as this, is is the overindulgence or or lack of self-restraint with food, drink, or other things. In fact, if you study the English word of gluttony, it actually comes from a Latin word, just simply means to gulp over and over again. And at the core, spiritually, gluttony is is the worship of food to to feed self-love. We worship food. And and if we look at our culture and we look at America today, we, we obviously notice 
that America has a struggle, a battle with food. Right? Let me just share some statistics with you. Three-fourths of Americans are obese or overweight. 30% of children are obese or overweight. Four million people die each year as a result of obesity. When it comes to food, did you know the average American throws away $1,500 each year in their trash with food? According to a nonprofit, Feeding America, America wastes more than $408 billion in food each year. And so here, this subtle sin is a reality in our culture. It's a reality in, in, in our world. It's a reality even in the church. We love food maybe just too much. And so Paul to the church in, in Philippi is going to address this subtle sin. And if you know anything about the book of, of Philippians, Paul is really calling this church to, to walk away from, from worldly desires. The, the Bible calls that the flesh. He calls them to live by the Spirit. He's ultimately calling them to a better way, a better life, something greater. And so let's look at his words to this church in chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, For as I often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears. So let's just pause here real quickly. We, we see that Paul is saying something again and again. He says, I've told you before, and now I'm telling you again. He's repeating himself. So it must be important. If Paul's going to say it over and over again, it must be important to him and important to God. And he even says, I'm going to tell you this time with tears. So there's emotion behind it. So he's basically saying, lean in, pay attention. So what does he say? He says this, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And the glory, their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, let me read that first line to you again. It says, many live as enemies of the cross. Isn't that terrifying to you? Like that, that I could live in a manner that is actually in, in rebellion, an enemy to the cross, which bought my freedom, paid for my sins, where God offers me grace and mercy. I can live in opposition to that. I can live in, as an enemy to God's greatest act through his cross and his resurrection. That's terrifying to me because I, I don't want to live that way. And yet Paul says many do. And what was happening in the church in Philippi that Paul is addressing is they were taking their freedom in Christ, the freedom from the cross, and they were abusing it. They were abusing it for their own pleasures, to chase after the, the, the things that they wanted, to be selfish. And one of the ways Paul says in this passage they were doing that is look what he says in, in verse 19. He says, their God was their stomach. Right? They, they, they worshiped. The food that they were eating, it became a God to them. And how do we know today if we live that way? How, how do I know and how do you know that, that if, if God, my, my, my belly, my, my, my stomach has become an idol to me? Well, one of the questions I, I love to ask myself, because I love food, is, is do I eat to live or do I live to eat? Right? We all know right, we have to eat to live. Our bodies need nourishment. Food is, is it a good thing. Right? We, we need to have substance for our physical bodies. We eat to live, but many of us, we live to eat. We desire it more than God himself. And here's the thing we have to understand. Food is, is an amazing thing. 
Right? God gave us food. And what, you, what you've seen throughout the series is many of the things, these subtle sins that we've talked about are God-given things that we've distorted that we've chosen to worship in, in, instead of God. And so how do we know if we're doing this? How do we know if we're living this way? Well, there's no perfect answer to that because gluttony is more about your heart. And so let me, let me just paint it to you like this. If you are exchanging food for the role God should play in your life, it's gluttony. If you are using food for your source of comfort, you're a glutton. If you are using food to find joy or overcome loneliness or an addiction or depression, it's gluttony. When you wake up and you can't be happy without a cup of coffee or you can't make it through your day without your fix of sugar, you become a glutton because you've exchanged the role God should play in your life and you've exchanged God and you've put something else there. And so when we talk about this, this subtle sin of gluttony, we need to dig a little bit deeper. We need to understand three things about gluttony that, that make it more aware in our hearts. The first thing that we have to understand is that gluttony is not a, a weight or a food issue. It's an idolatry issue. It's going to be easy for us to walk out of here and if, if you're skinny, you, you feel like, man, I, I'm good. Whew, escape that one. Or maybe you're a little bit overweight and you're like, man, I'm so guilty. But that's not always the case. Because gluttony is more about your heart. God is after your heart. And what does Paul say to the church of Philippi? He says, your God has become your stomach. You're worshiping something else. It's become an idol to you. So what is an idol? Well, an idol is anything, anything that's more important to us than God. It's, it's anything that absorbs our hearts and our imagination more than God. It's anything you seek to give you what only God can. Right? And we find ourselves in, in life saying things like this. Like, if, if, if I just had that, I'd be fulfilled, satisfied. I'd find security. I'd find meaning. I'd find purpose. Right? If I just had that, well, that thing you're chasing after has become an idol in your heart. And so we have to understand that gluttony is more about what you worship rather than what you are eating. And if we are real and we are honest with ourselves, too many of us today worship food. And I know that sounds weird because we don't sing to food. We don't bow down to food. But our hearts definitely long for it, crave it more than we crave God. And when we live this way, we actually live in, in, in contrary to our example, Jesus. Because what's amazing about his life is if you look at Jesus' life and study his life, you'll see something completely opposite to that. And one great example of that is Jesus in the desert. He just came from his baptism where his dad told him he was, he was his son and he was well pleased with him. And that initiated his spirit, led him into the wilderness for 40 days where the devil would tempt him. And for 40 days, guess what Jesus didn't do? He didn't eat. He fasted for 40 days. Think about how crazy that is. Medically, his body is, is at starvation mode. He is dying physically of starvation. And guess where the enemy attacked him first? He looked around and he said, Jesus, look at all these stones. Turn one into bread. You've got to be hungry, Jesus. Like, give yourself a baguette. Like, eat it. Right? And let's be honest, right? I can barely go like six hours without a carb. Jesus has gone 40 days. You know how tempting that must have been? 
And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what Jesus was saying to his enemy? He says, you think bread is gonna sustain me? That's not what carries me through life. That's not what sustains me, gives me my nourishment. It's the words of God that fulfill me, bring me hope and sustain me. And here's what I'm afraid for my life and so many Christians' lives today. We walk around with full bellies, but we live with empty spirits. We walk around feeling satisfied from the food we ate rather than the words God spoke. Can I ask you, what are you willing to pass food up for? Because here, Jesus is really calling out what we long for and what we desire. And the truth is, is many of us, we'd rather go out to eat than spend time with God. We'd rather go to a restaurant than spend time in prayer with Jesus. And what we have to understand about gluttony is it's more about what we worship than what we eat. Second thing about gluttony we have to understand is gluttony is often a symptom of a deeper struggle. Gluttony is often an alarm bell. It's an indicator that there is something deeper, some struggle, something we're going through that that is bigger in our lives. And when we go to food, it can be revealing to us that we are turning to food for help or healing or comfort rather than God. Maybe it's because of pain in our life. Emotional issues, mental health issues, a loss or or grief, a struggle in our marriage or our kids, and we turn, instead of going to God for those things, we turn to food. And can I tell you, I am so guilty of that. Right? Three years ago, when my dad died, I did this very thing. Right? It, It was just easier to turn to a cookie or, or a Big Mac or whatever it was because when we turn to food, you know what we want? We just want something to give us reprieve, something to make us feel good and ignore the pain or the hurt or the grief or the struggle that we're going through. And I did that when my dad died. Rather than face my grief head on, it was just easier to eat because it brought a little bit of pleasure to my life amidst the pain that I was feeling. And so many of us do that. And I know why we do it. I know why I did it. It's because it's easier. It's easier to grab a cookie or eat an ice cream cone than it is to address the struggle we're facing. It feels good. It's harder to do the hard work that is needed. Gluttony is a great disguise for a much bigger struggle we all face. Third thing we need to know about gluttony is gluttony's focus is here and now rather than on your future, right? When we choose food over God, we are zooming in onto temporary things. In fact, Paul says this, right? Look what he says in verse 19. He says, where is their minds? Their mind is set on earthly things, right? When we choose to worship food, our mind is set on earthly things. We're focused on the here and now. And here's the problem with that is we actually pass up on a better, more lasting pleasure rather than an instant one. Sure, gluttony offers you relief in an instant, but long lasting ramifications. Gluttony provides a a quick fix rather than long-term solutions. And here's what you need to know. When we run to food, 
When we go to the pleasure of food rather than God, gluttony has never solved a problem. It's usually just made a problem even worse. And so how do we win this battle? Right? How do we overcome this subtle, often blind to sin that we have in our lives? Well, Paul teaches us in a unique way. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might ask, like, how in the world is Paul solving my gluttony issue there? Right, like if I were to ask you, hey, how do you overcome gluttony or how do you overcome your food, your worship of food, you probably wouldn't talk about citizenship. Right, like, oh, you're, you're a citizen of heaven. That'll fix your problem. Well, thank you for that. But what Paul is offering to our hearts and our minds is a greater perspective. He reminds you as a Christian, if you know Christ as your personal savior, you are a citizen of heaven, not earth. And where you belong changes the way you act. Whose you are should change the way you approach things. Here's what we don't see in the background of this church in Philippi was this great struggle, a struggle that we all have today. You see, for the church in Philippi, there was so much Roman influence, right? Rome was teaching these Christians how to live and they were telling them, hey, indulge, enjoy the comforts of this world, go crazy. And what was happening is Christians in Philippi were being lied to by the Roman influence to chase after earthly things. And Paul is coming, calling them back. He says, no, you're not a citizen of Rome. You're a citizen of heaven. And how often do we fall in that same trap? You think about America. We're citizens of America. And what do we often chase after? The American dream. A life of comfort and ease and overindulgence. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Christians, that's not where you belong. You belong to Jesus. You belong to the kingdom of God. If you truly do, that should change everything about the way you see life. Approach everything. That we should learn as citizens of heaven to choose heavenly things over earthly things, or lasting things over temporary things. And one practical way, it's practical but it's hard, to overcome our, our love, our worship of food, is to give it up. To fast from it. In fact, that's one of my challenges from this message, is I would challenge you this week to try fasting. For one day, Give up food. A whole day, you can drink as much as you want. Make thick milkshakes, whatever you gotta do, but to deny yourself. And the purpose of fasting is to, when you experience that craving for food, instead of running to food, you run to God. You pray. And you say, God, I want you to sustain me. I want you to be my focus. Fasting realigns our hearts to what we truly should worship. And so would you be willing to do that this week? I would challenge our church to do it tomorrow so you don't forget about it. Monday, give up food for a day. And when you crave food, go to your Savior. God, realign my heart to worship you and not the things of this world. I love what Dustin Messer says. He says, we go without food today because we don't want to spoil our appetite for the eternal feast that waits us tomorrow. So if you wanna be a part of this journey, just go to iwant.info. 
I want that info. My challenge for you is to give up food, and I would love to know if you're going to do it. And so you can grab your phone, go to I want want that info right now. You'll see a banner at the top. I want to fast. And there's no follow-up going to happen. It's just you committing to doing this, the spiritual discipline of fasting with the purpose of realigning your heart and your worship back to God. Secondly, we have to understand that food is a gift. We use it for God's glory. Right? Food is not the enemy. Like food is an amazing thing from God. It's a gift from God. And so let me give you permission not to feel bad about enjoying amazing foods. Right? This summer, smoke your ribs. Make your pasta sauce. Do what you do. And when you enjoy good food, praise God for it. Right? Look what Paul says. He says, so whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Right? God wants you to enjoy the pleasures he offers to you. But those pleasures were never designed to steal his worship. And so throughout the rest of your life, eat amazing food. But when you eat it, praise God for it. Give him the glory. This week, when you sit down before a meal, don't do your traditional prayer that we all get caught up in. God, thank you for this food. No, mean it and surrender your heart to God. God, thank you that you provided this for our family to eat. There are families that don't have that provision and would love to have it. And so when you see the food on your table, God, what a blessing it is. And may, when we use it, we glorify you because of it. Use food for the kingdom of God. Right? Invite your neighbors over to talk about Jesus and let food be the centerpiece. With your family, build traditions that your kids will never forget and let food be a part of that. With your community group, have them over and encourage them by making good food. Give food to those who don't have food to bless them. Use food for God's glory. So here we are at the end of the series. For seven weeks, we've talked about sins that we miss. Sins that are in our life that we can't even see anymore. They're subtle. And I would ask you today as we wind down this series, what sin in this list is the one that you need to work on? The one you need to address in your life? Is it the pursuit of comfort? Is it comparison where you're constantly looking at other people's lives to make you feel good about yours? Is it gossip, just talking maybe when you shouldn't? Is it holding on to the reins of control in your life? Is it busyness where your schedule is just crazy? Is it just consuming and consuming and consuming? Or is it the worship of food? Which one on that list is the one you need to address most in your life? Because here's the reality. If you don't address it, it'll cause you problems. If you don't handle sin, sin will handle you. If you don't address the things in your life that live in rebellion to God, they will lead you down paths you never wanted to go down. In fact, Paul says that. He says many live as enemies of the cross. And guess where that path leads? Guess where sin leads? That destiny is destruction. It'll hurt you and the people around you. It'll ripple. And so what sin do you need to address? Take seriously. It might be subtle, but its effects 
aren't. The destiny of sin is destruction, but let me leave you with the greatest news in history. Because Paul, right after that, he says, but, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we as Christians eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like him, like his glorious body. My friends, that's the hope of the gospel that we all struggle with sin, but because of Jesus' cross and resurrection, there is hope despite our sin. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. The hope that despite the struggles that we have in life, we can cling to. So God, I pray for our church today that we would address those subtle sins that maybe we don't even see right now. That you'd use a friend or a mentor, someone to call it out in us and that we would take it serious. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.